Welcome to week five of my leadership journey. This week we will be discussing the five stages of team development, power distance, and teamwork. I will also be diving into productive team norms, how to deal with employees with differing cultures and ethnical backgrounds, and so much more. Let's get started. There are five stages of team development as outlined in our text, The Leadership Essentials 7th Edition by Robert Daft. Each time a new employee is added to our team, I can see their process through these stages. About a year ago, I hired a high school graduate to be on the job trained. I can see now when she reached each of these stages of team development. The first stage is the forming stage. This is a period of orientation when the team becomes acquainted. Team members determine acceptable behaviors to their teammates, explore the possibilities of friendships, and orient to tasks. During her first six months on the job, her focus was being accepted by the team. She focused on building friendships with her teammates by going out with them on a regular basis. She also focused on learning the tasks needed to complete the job at hand. These are the tasks that she would need to complete in order to be an effective member of the team. Stage two is the storming stage. The team member becomes more assertive in their role on the team. This stage is marked by conflict and disagreement. During this phase, she understood the tasks that needed to be completed in order to be an effective member of the team. She was also able to understand when people were questioning her abilities. On one occasion, a team member questioned her understanding of the procedure, and she was able to quote to him each step of the procedure. She was able to shut down the conflict, and this led to the third stage, the norming stage. During this period, conflicts begin to resolve and harmony within the team emerges. Her ability to prove to her teammate that she was competent led them to trust her and therefore harmony among the team was achieved. This newfound harmony led to the performing stage. The fourth stage or the performing stage is the period in which achieving the goal becomes the focus. At this time, the goal was developing a new robotics program. Because we had a cohesive team that believed in one another's ability, they were able to focus on the goal and they did just that. We increased our robotic procedures by 65% and decreased our turnover time by 15 minutes. The fifth stage is the adjourning stage. This period is after the goal is completed and the team is disbanded. At this time, we have not made it to this stage. We strive to be better every day and we take care of our patients. High power distance is the acceptance of inequality in power, while low power distance is the expectance of equality in power. Prior to my career change into nursing, I earned a degree in accounting and worked for a large bank in my area. I had the same degree as all five men in my department, we shared all the same task, and I had been with the company longer than them all. But they were all junior vice presidents of risk management in different areas, and I was the risk management executive assistant. I was raised to expect equality in power, so it had never dawned on me until this point in my career that inequality within this industry was still occurring. I began to research the titles of women in this company. Out of the 50 banks, there was only one female bank president 
And that was because it was part of the deal when the company bought this particular bank. No department supervisor was a woman, and I found this appalling. During my exit interview, my senior vice president requested that the bank president sit in, but he wanted to make sure that I would still be honest in his presence. And I was. I shared with him my findings and the reason that I was leaving. I was leaving because this company did not promote women. About a month ago, there was a women's leadership conference at this bank's conference center. I received a personal invitation from the bank president that I had spoke with years ago. Most of those in attendance were from the bank that I had left. As we went around the room introducing ourselves, I was amazed to see all these women throughout the banking system were senior vice presidents, supervisors, and directors. The president had asked to meet with me after this conference. He stated that our conversation was a wake-up call for him. He had taken over for his father the year that I had left and did not fully understand the culture that his father had built. He praised me for the guts that it took to bring this to his attention. Working as a team can be a challenge. As a team member, I struggle with giving up independence. I was raised to be a very independent person and rely on myself above all. This makes it hard for me to rely on others. I struggle through this in my work life. I know that I have to delegate in order to achieve the goals of the team. I know that I cannot do it all myself, but I tend to have a lack of trust. In every team that I have been on, there have been free riders that cause me to have this lack of trust. The free rider is the team member that does not contribute to the team, but wants to take the credit for the end product. These people have a lack of commitment to the team, which is frustrating to those members that are fully committed. Fear of conflict is another challenge that the team members face when working on a team. This fear will cause the team member to go along with the idea of others, even if they disagree, because they do not want to rock the boat. This leads to avoidance of accountability. If the team member did not share their opinion because they did not want to cause a conflict, then they can refuse to take responsibility for the outcomes because they did not contribute their true opinion. Inattention to results of the big picture is the biggest challenge that the team can face, in my opinion. One of the department heads in my facility puts their personal ambition and the needs of his team above the needs of the hospital team as a whole. During this pandemic, having an accurate count of the available personal protective equipment is vital. All departments were asked to return all of these items to a central location for a count and then distribution and tracking. The fourth week into this pandemic, it was discovered that this director had not returned all of its department's equipments. He had put his needs above those of the hospital as a whole. As I stated earlier, there are five stages to team development. These stages are outlined in our text, The Leadership Essentials, 7th edition by Robert Dath, as the following. Forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. During the norming stage, it is important for the leader to emphasize openness within the team. The leader must continue to facilitate communication and clarify team roles, values, and expectations. First, communication is vital to shape the productive team norm. A productive team can communicate well among the team and feel that they can openly communicate with their leadership. They must feel empowered to share their opinions and ideas with leadership and their teammates. I strive for open communication on my team. 
I do this by having an open door policy, but also by having a box that team members can anonymously communicate their opinions and concerns with me. Second, the team must have a clear understanding of the team's values. Our value statement clearly posted on our communication board so that each member of the team knows what is expected. Third, the team members must understand where they stand on the team. Each member of my team, from the manager to the OR support tech, knows their role on the team, and the other team members have an understanding of what is expected of their teammates. Above all, they understand what is expected and that our roles overlap. No one is too good to complete a task that will help the day move forward and uphold our values. Cultural intelligence includes three components that work together, cognitive, emotional, and physical. The cognitive component is the ability to observe and learn skills, as well as pick up on clues to understanding someone's cultural differences. There is a central processing tech on my team that is from Asia. She is uncomfortable with informal addressing of those in management. I prefer to be called by my first name by my team members, and I kept requesting that she call me Shelby instead of Mrs. Crop. After the first time that I made the request, I began to understand that it made her feel uncomfortable to call me by my first name. So we compromised. She now calls me Miss Shelby. The emotional aspect of cultural intelligence is concern with one's self-confidence and self-motivation. This same team member is motivated to work hard because she knows that because she is not a natural-born citizen of the U.S., there is a potential that others will question her. She was always working harder than the rest of her team. She does not want to be perceived as lazy, so she will do all the work if the team will let her. At first, her teammates were annoyed that she was doing all the work and not letting them help, but they finally understood that she was just trying to prove herself to them. The third component of cultural intelligence is physical ability. This refers to the person's ability to shift his or her speech patterns, expressions, and body language to be in tune with the people of a different culture. This is an ability that I'm good at. I worked in the service industry for many years, and in order to receive good tips, I had to adjust to meet cultural differences of the people that I was serving. My interactions were different with a family than they would be with a group of men or even a group of women. If a farmer sat down at my table, my introduction would have a southern drawl and would include the word y'all. If it was a group of businessmen, the accent was gone and I would dress them as gentlemen. The following is a quote from our text, The Leadership Essentials, 7th edition by Robert Daft. One goal for today's global organization is to ensure that all people, women, ethnic minorities, younger people, gays and lesbians, the disabled, older people, racial minority, as well as white males, given equal opportunity and treated with fairness and respect. The top five barriers to inclusion and why you should avoid them by Natalie Holder, published on January 30th, 2017, stated that the top five barriers to inclusive leadership are selective monitoring, inconsistent responses to mistakes, bullying, insensitivity, and perceived underperformance. The personal barrier that has stood in my way of becoming an inclusive leader is selective mentoring. 
Selective mentoring is becoming invested in someone else's career development when you can see yourself in them. I tend to see myself in others and take them under my wing to help them achieve their goals. I have to remind myself that the team works with diversity and that I have to be equally invested and mentor those that are different from me. Thank you again for joining me on this week's leadership journey. This gives me a chance to reflect on my leadership in real time and make adjustments as I navigate this pandemic and leading my team through it. Have a great day.